Good morning and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson with you on this Saturday morning and this week I'm coming to you from our WGN West radio studios, Scottsdale, Arizona. Temperature right now at 87 degrees here in the Valley of the Sun, Arizona. And uh, yeah, we're in for sunshine and temperatures in the 100s again today after some beautiful weather yesterday. It's at the point where we begin our broadcast each each day by checking the latest uh, numbers on the COVID-19. And the United States reported at least 62,500 new COVID-19 cases yesterday. That's a record daily increase for a third day in a row. Seven states reported record increases in cases yesterday. Alaska, Georgia, Louisiana, Montana, Ohio, Utah, and in the Midwest, Wisconsin. And Walt Disney stuck to its plans to reopen its flagship theme park in Orlando today, even as Florida recorded its second highest increase in cases ever, with more than 11,000 new cases. Disney's chief medical officer said this week that she believes the broad set of safeguards the company developed with health experts would allow guests to visit the park safely. And Americans have become increasingly divided on issues such as the reopening of schools and businesses and wearing face masks in public. But there is near universal consensus among health experts that wearing masks is one of the most effective ways to stop transmission of the virus, which has killed more than 133,000 Americans. So that's the COVID-19 report for this Saturday morning, the 11th day of July as we're into the county fair season. And uh, we're into the season of postponements and cancellations. Fairs like the Sandwich Fair at Sandwich, Illinois, which has not missed a county fair for a uh, 130 years, will not have a county fair this year because always the Sandwich Fair opened the Wednesday after Labor Day, but because of the virus, that will not be the case this year. And what a difference that makes for a lot of people. We'll talk about that and some of the other cancellations this year that's having a major impact on people who make uh, their annual a living in the summertime during county fair season, the carnival workers, the 4-H and FFA kids, and the adult livestock exhibitors all have normally held the World Series or the Super Bowl of the agricultural community at this time of the year. But uh, what a difference it is this year. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm coming to you from Scottsdale, Arizona, our WGN West Studios, after making a flying trip on United Airlines to uh, the uh, Phoenix area this uh, past week. Uh, Did it on Thursday. Kind of an interesting situation because I had not flown since uh, January. 
commercially and uh, had not flown in Air Orion. The airplane has been parked as well. And uh, it really is quite a change to uh, get back into some semblance of activity that we normally do in the summertime. But a lot of those activities we'll not be doing this summer because of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's an unusual summer, uh, one unlike any I've seen in my lifetime, and uh, I hope I never see one like it again. But uh, it's a situation that reminds me a little bit of uh, 1954-55 when we had the polio epidemic and until Dr. Jonas Salk came up with a vaccine, that kept us from really touching anybody or spending time in groups. And I remember that very well because it was uh, such an unusual situation for those of us who enjoyed all of the activities in the summertime, but with the polio epidemic that uh, left some of my high school friends uh, on crutches for the rest of their lives some who didn't survive the polio epidemic or did and spent uh, the remainder of their life in the iron lung to help them breathe. A lot of memories that have come back to mind with the uh, COVID-19 situation. So we're at uh, 14 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Time to talk gardening, and we're going to do that with Jim Fazell when we continue on the Saturday Morning Show. Good morning, Jim Fazell. My golly, it rained yesterday, and it was a timely rain, wasn't it, Jim? Boy, was it ever. We needed it. Thursday night, uh, they had storms all around us, and we kept thinking, it's going to miss us. But I got up during the night and looked out, and it was raining. Thank you. So we were happy to have that. We needed it. It was pretty dry up to then. We'd had very little rain for 10 days. In fact, uh, I hesitate to go out and do any watering, but I did to preserve some stuff that was really hurting. Uh, I was going to talk about dry weather this week, but we've gotten some rain, so I don't need to do that. Well, so what do we talk about? <laughs> well, you know, there's a very interesting thing that that uh, is going on that people don't even realize many times, and that's pollination. How do plants become pollinated? How do we get seed from these plants or, or uh, corn from the corn plant? Actually, it it means that the pollen that these plants produce has to be moved from the stamens to the pistil. And there are several ways that that happens. One of them, very common, is wind. Now, when we talk about corn, corn is pollinated by the wind. The the pollen comes off the sta- the um, tassel the, uh, tassels up on the top, and it is drops down to the to the silks down below, or it's blown from one plant to another plant throughout the field, and you get pollination. Uh, grasses do that. Bluegrass, we get the report of the pollen count being high, and sometimes they say it's grasses. Uh, the other things that are pollinated by wind are peppers and tomatoes and some of the other solanaceous crops. Now, this is a passive thing because the wind, does, wind doesn't really blow the pollen from one to another. It shakes the flowers, so the pollen drops out. I guess you could say it's pollination by gravity. Then there are some kinds of plants where pollination just takes place. Beans, soybeans, peas, and so forth essentially self-pollinate. Then we have insects. These are so important on carrying pollen from one thing to another. Squash, pumpkins, any of the vine crops, anything that has a separate male and female flower. Uh, fruit trees, any of the fruit trees, small tree, small fruits, 
and nut trees are pollinated by insects. So they're very important. There are many kinds of pollinator insects, by the way, many, many kinds of uh, things other than bees, but we consider the bees, wasps, flies, and some beetles uh, to be the most important, and actually bees are the most common. And there are a lot of kinds of bees that do pollinating. Uh, we're familiar with honeybees. Everybody knows what they look like. And by the way, they seem to be coming back. They were really, really knocked out. Populations were really knocked down by the varroa and tracheal mites and by viruses. So we had a colony collapse that really damaged a lot of them, and some of our beekeepers lost 40, 50, 60% of their hives at various times from these various things. But it seems like there are a lot of them. They seem to be coming back. And in, we have a lot of clover in our lawn. I let it grow. Jane says, that's clover. We don't, I don't, well, yeah, I do want the clover because we have honeybees out there. And lots of them this year. I sit out in, on my patio and watch them hovering over the clover, collecting the pollen and, and eating the, the sugar that these things produce in their, in their, in the, uh, that we we make honey out of this, of course, and that's very important. Now, these are fuzzy golden yellow with brown or black stripes, and they're not really aggressive. If you step on one or you pick up one, it's going to sting you. But there are other things that do a lot of pollinating, and, and in past years when we didn't have a lot of honeybees around, one of the things I noticed were the bumblebees. These are big bees. Uh, they're large. They're black and yellow. They spend a lot of time on the plants. In fact, uh, if they find a plant that they really like to get nectar from, they'll hover on that thing and they'll spend the night on it. Now, I don't think they eat. I think they go to sleep. But, but they'll spend the night on these flowers. And if you have, have things that, uh, that they feed on, you can go out in the evening after the sun has gone down and look, and you'll find sometimes that they're hanging on to the flower that they've been feeding on. Now, these things don't make hives. They raise their young in burrows, holes in the ground, old mouse holes, and so forth. Uh, they're aggressive if you do disturb the burrows, so you don't want to do that. One time when I had the greenhouses, I was cultivating between the greenhouses with the tractor, and lo and behold, I dug up one of those things. I left the tractor for two days sitting there because <laughs> the bumblebees, uh, they can be aggressive, but now normally they are not. Big bumblebees. Orchard bees look like bumblebees. They're a little bit smaller, and they're a shiny, dark blue colored. They don't make hives. They actually live in holes and trees and in old fence posts and so forth. They're not aggressive, but there are a lot of them around, and we have a lot of them in our yard this year uh, feeding on uh, quite a few different things, as a matter of fact. And we have sweat bees. These are little tiny things, about a quarter of an inch or so long, with dark stripes. And they get on you because they like the salt from your perspiration. Now, they'll sting if they're trapped, but you don't need to trap them if you can be very careful unless you get them caught in your clothing. Uh, they do sting, but it's not, uh, not a, a serious sting. Then we have carpenter bees. These are large, intimidating bees. They're not aggressive, but they are stingers. They will sting you. One of the problems with these is they're perfectly capable of boring holes in wood, and they can be very damaging. If you have carpenter bees working on your house, particularly if you have something like cedar siding or you have uh, posts that have not been painted, uh, you need to protect them from these things because they'll put holes in them and holes over and over again. Now, there's some things that you can do to counteract that, and, uh, and, and one of the things I'll talk about in just a minute. But first, we need to attract bees. Um, we need to grow plants with flowers that have pollen and nectar. One of the most common is the monarda, or the bee balm, but buddleia, or butterfly bush, uh, cone flowers, and that's what we have in bloom right now that are really attracting a lot of them. 
asters, uh, linden trees earlier, and many native prairie plants that do attract these normally. And if you put them in your garden, they'll, they'll attract these to your garden as well. And we need to set up some bee houses. Bee houses uh, actually can be just a, a bundle of, of sticks with holes in the center of them, and this is one of the things that you can put up to protect yourself from the carpenter bees, or you can put up planks that are deep enough, maybe two-by-fours with holes bored in them that are convenient for these creatures to put their eggs in, and you can... And you can kind of invite them not to feed on your stuff that you want them or to, or to dig into the stuff that you want, but to use the things that you put out for them. Um, getting along with bees is important. You know, bees will sting, but they're usually not aggressive. You do need to be careful, though. You don't want to wear perfume or bright-colored clothes when you're out in the garden, and certainly don't try to pick them up. Uh, if one lands on you, you don't need to panic. Uh, just flush it off or blow it off or wipe it off. Uh, one other thing that I, I need to mention is that you want to try to avoid pesticides during the day when the bees are flying. Now, they go, go to bed at sunset usually, and if you're going to do some treatment out in your garden, wait till the bees are in bed so that you don't kill them off. It's hard to get them back again when you lose them, and if you've done that, uh, you may suffer for a couple of, couple of years before the population gets back up. Now, wasps and yellow jackets and hornets, paper wasps in particular, are not bees. They can pollinate, but they can be aggressive, especially the yellow jackets. And all of us have been in the position where we've had yellow jackets that want to picnic with us. They like the same foods we do, they, the sugary drinks, the meat and the hamburgers for their young. Again, don't wear bright colored clothes, and don't wear flowery perfume either. They'll think you're flowers. If you're going to picnic and they're out in your area, set the food out just before you eat. Put covers over the pop cans so they don't get inside of them. You know, it, it's pretty pretty damaging if you take a swig of pop out of your pop can and you get a yellow jacket with you that stings you on the inside of your mouth. Uh, it's not happened to me, but I know that it's happened to other people, and it makes it very, very uncomfortable, if not dangerous. Uh, keep trash cans as far away from your picnic area as you can, and as soon as you finish eating, put the food away so that you aren't attracting these. Another thing that you need to remember, uh, yellow jackets can get under your clothing. If they do that, don't try to squeeze them. Roll them up in your clothing and then squeeze them, because if you just smash them on you, they will sting you. And these creatures, unlike bees, which can only sting once and leave their stinger, can sting many times. So if you have a yellow jacket caught in your pants leg, for instance, it might sting you four or five times before you actually, actually uh, can dispatch of it. Now, if you are stung by anything, yellow jackets including, one of the first things you need to do is put ice on it right away. Now, I have a good friend who's a golfer. He's a pharmacist who's retired, and he has what he calls the penny trick. He said that if you take a good copper penny and put it over the sting and press on it for one minute, the sting will go away. I, Jane has tried that, and she says it works. I've never had occasion to try that. <laughs> so uh, you need to be very careful about stings, particularly if you've ever had a reaction. Now, if you've had a reaction to it, to a, to a sting, you probably need to get to your pharmacy and get a bee sting kit. These usually contain epinephrine. If you do get, do get stung by a bee and you've had a problem before, be absolutely immediately aware that you need to give yourself that shot of epinephrine to keep you from having uh, what could turn out to be a fatal uh, event from the, uh, from the sting. You don't need to be afraid of bees. Even uh, the wasps and hornets, you don't need to be afraid of them, but enjoy them. They're good, good friends, and they do a lot of work for us that we don't even have to pay for.
Indeed, we do need them, so uh, don't go out of your way to do away with them, but uh, encourage them to, I guess, get the plants that they like and uh, don't slap them around if you <laughs> get approached by them. So, Jim, I thank you for your bee sting advice and uh, for your encouragement to uh, encourage the bees. And we look forward to our visit with you again next week, and may you continue to get good rains. Yes, we hope we do, and uh, the best to you as well, Orion. Jim Fazell. Jim is our specialist in ornamental horticulture with us here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 27 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show. I mentioned earlier that on Thursday of this week, I, my wife, Gloria, and I flew on an airline for the first time since the COVID-19 thing started affecting all of us in January. And it was an interesting ride. Let me share just a little bit of it with you because I got to the airport to O'Hare Field at 6 o'clock in the morning to catch our flight to uh, Phoenix and walked into the terminal at O'Hare and saw something I can't remember ever seeing. There weren't any people. I think I could count on two hands the number of people walking through the terminal who were there early because that was the advice of the uh, people who check us in for the airplanes, get there early, but uh, they did not take uh, my temperature at least I don't know that they did they may have but uh, I don't know that they did and the flight I would say a third to a half full flying to Phoenix or fairly early on Thursday morning of this week but uh, people wearing masks on the airplane and the food service on the airplane was certainly different than I remembered the last time I flew because It was not a warm breakfast. It was a plastic bag containing wrapped in plastic food. And uh, there was nothing served fresh or open from the standpoint of getting food on the airplane. So it was a different experience. And uh, all I can say is uh, be prepared for it because it does take a little longer to get through security. And it does, uh, if you can get a bite to eat before you get on the airplane, I think you'll be happy with that too. But other than that, uh, we made the trip and arrived early in the Phoenix airport where the temperature was uh, 90, uh, no, 99 degrees when we got here. Uh, before noon on Thursday. So that was my experience, and I know many of you have flown uh, uh, for me because I fly a lot, but to not be in an airplane for about four or five months, certainly an unusual experience. The uh, station, of course, is WGN Radio. I've been a part of that radio station uh, for 60 years come September. And I got to say, have enjoyed every minute of it. And one of the main reasons is because of you and your listening to what we have to talk about. And we do have a USDA report to talk about from a production standpoint. And we're going to get to that because Max Armstrong, who normally does this show from his home in North Carolina, 
uh, came into Chicago this week, so he was in an airplane as well, and uh, he will be joining us here on the Saturday morning show to talk about that USDA report and what else is happening in the agricultural community. So I hope you'll stay with us throughout the day on WGN Radio, but uh, throughout the Saturday morning show. Right now, it's time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week, finding another way to say thank you to our food producers. Okay, let's say thank you again to America's food producers. You know that during my time on the air at WGN Radio, I've uh, taken every opportunity I have to say thank you to the people who work so hard on farms and ranches and produce farms and wherever else they do their uh, special work to provide us with food and good, healthy food. So if you have been part of my audience on radio, television, or newspapers over the past few decades, then you know how strongly I feel about saying thank you and paying tribute to the agricultural producers of the United States. And I'm always looking for new ways to say what I feel. So let me this week take from a full-page magazine ad paid for by Land Lakes, the Dairy Cooperative, and let me quote their full-page ad. We are a farmer-owned co-op, have been since 1921. We were founded on the belief of working together, of looking out for one another, and that includes you. Today, it includes everyone. So know that we're doing everything we can to keep grocery shelves stocked and your family's plates full. Our dairy farmers are rising early, caring for their cows. Their work ethic won't tire. Our plant workers, truck drivers, and retail partners are working together to keep food available to all. From milking barns to your table, our farmers inspire us. Their dedication drives us. But most of all, they remind us that we are responsible for each other, all of us, all together better. Farmer-owned Land O'Lakes. I thank Land O'Lakes for letting me use that because I couldn't have said it uh, any better. Over the years, I have watched the dedicated labor of not only dairy farmers, but vegetable and nut producers, beef, pork, and poultry producers, as well as other products that eventually wind up on our dinner table. So let me again say what Land O'Lakes said so well. I hope you will have an opportunity to share what they have said and say thank you if you are a producer. We're working together to help people on the entire planet. So be safe and be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, and this is a presentation of the uh, Saturday morning show on WGN Radio Chicago. And uh, we're going to uh, take a look at some of the numbers in that USDA report on the production of this year's crops uh, when we come back, because we'll be joining Max Armstrong and Arlen Suderman 
of Stone X Group. So stay with us for that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. In the wake of the government supply and demand report, let's visit on this Friday afternoon with the chief commodities economist for Stonex Group. Joining us here is Arlen Suderman. Arlen, so many times after these summertime reports, the numbers are viewed, the numbers are quickly digested, and then the way that we say, okay, now what's the weather forecast? What's coming our way? What's out there that could uh, affect the crop one way or another? Was that part of the reaction after the supply-demand numbers, especially in corn, where we did see a sell-off? That's exactly the reaction we saw today. And, in fact, the, the trade was leaning that way anyway. And, excuse me, in the midday updates uh, for the GFS model, the American model, were coming out as the crop report came out. So as soon as the trade saw the crop report numbers, that there really weren't any big surprises in it. They immediately began trading the weather, which has some significant additional moisture in it for the next 10 days for key areas of the Midwest that are currently dry. That's a pretty hard sell-off, though, isn't it? It is, and uh, this is the day of the algorithmic traders. The computers are trading momentum, and so when we head in one direction, they're going to amplify the move. In the old days, it might have been a three or four cent move. Now it's a double digit move because of that. They'll take it too far in both directions. Uh, the heat is still in the forecast for next week, although with increased rainfall, you have more cloud cover. Uh, you tend to reduce the intensity of the heat. Uh, the overnight low temperatures are still going to be high. We still have some risks ahead of us. Um, and, and, in fact, we could still do significant damage to this crop, but we do not yet have any evidence that we're going to do enough damage to offset the big surplus we're carrying over into the next year, and uh, so the markets are trading on that. Now, I noticed a comment from you this week about the fact this was the second hottest June 1st through July 10th, second only to 1988. With our new hybrids, with our... uh, really tricked out corn, I guess, it's, you might say, that we have today compared to all of those years ago. Is that an apt comparison anymore? Well, heat is certainly a risk for corn, but you're right. And I, I must say that since 19 or the last 40 years of data, looking back at the last 40 years, heat is a concern. But when you have moisture, you're better able to handle that. Now, it's been drier than normal for the Midwest Corn Belt since June 1, but we've had enough timely showers to keep the crop going. And I know there are isolated areas that have more significant problems, but the Midwest as a whole, the part, part of the problem is, is it's still warm water waters off the west coast and uh, that keeps your low pressure um, over the midwest more and your high pressure over the west if we were to cool off those waters more off the west coast which they have been cooling of late but that cooling has slowed and uh, so if we were to cool those waters off then we'd have more low pressure over the west and a stronger high pressure ridge over the midwest the way it is we've had these temporary high pressure ridges over the midwest that aren't quite strong enough to totally shut off the moisture that's allowed the heat to come in but also rains underneath of it Uh, and uh, so overall this crop still has good crop ratings speaking of good crop ratings will we see come monday a little bit of slippage though yet in the i know that's going to be old news but i mean is that possible that we'll see the ratings slip a little bit on corn they will. I do think that they will. Now, they normally slip this time of year into late August, um, but I would expect that we'll see a little bit more. We're putting some stress on these crops, and so I think the condition ratings will come down. 
I, I do not expect enough of a decline this week to really be a big market mover. Uh, it's going to be the week or two after that that really is going to be uh, pivotal, and that's going to come down to how these rains play out over the next two weeks versus the heat. By a week or two. Now, you're talking about the fact that by, well, let's say, what, about the 20th of this month, you'll have much more of the United States corn crop in the midst of pollination, correct? Yeah, exactly right. And and one of the problems that we may see going forward is high overnight temperatures if they hold. I, I was just I was just going to come back to that. You referenced that a little bit earlier, and we have seen that making a difference in some years, making a difference if the temperatures weren't so hot overnight, it made a difference. 2010 and 2011 were two years when we saw significant yield losses. And what that does is kind of make the plant continue to work all the way through the night mm-hmm. and use up valuable energy to kind of just maintain itself rather than packing energy into the kernels. So that impacts depth of kernel when you have that. And it's very hard to pick up in the ratings. You really don't pick it up until you get in the combine. So that's one of the things we'll have to be watching if we if we continue to see high overnight temperatures through the grain fill period. You made a good point in that we do most often see a decline in the condition rating of the corn from here on out into, what, the, the last days of August. But that doesn't happen every year either, does it? No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Our really high-yielding years, we see the ratings just kind of hold steady right, and stay this high all the way through. Um, and uh, then some years when it looks bad, they'll decline sharply, and then we'll find out it's not as bad as thought, and they'll come up at harvest times. we find the yield results are better than expected. But the longer-term trend is your highest ratings are early in the season. They trend lower into August and then do a little bit of a bounce at harvest. We noticed there was a reduction in feed usage for corn in this report. That might surprise some folks a little bit, just thinking what we saw a few days ago in a, in a hogs and pigs report. How much of this is, how much of any of it would be attributable to euthanasia of livestock? Well, that's kind of the thinking, and not just that, but we saw feeders also pull back on the feed that they were giving the animals, trying to slow them down. That was more of a protein factor than an energy factor, um, but between euthanizing animals and changing the rations, that accounts for the change in feed usage. Uh, USDA was overinflated on its new crop feed usage number anyway, and so when the June 30th stocks report forced it to lower its old crop feed usage, that pretty much forced its hand on the new crop as well. Was there also a reduction in the um, ethanol usage? What what did that show in terms of the the supply-demand numbers? Yeah, USDA lowered its uh, ethanol use of corn by another 50 million to 4.85 billion bushels. That matches my estimate now. We've been down in that area now for uh, really since April, and uh, USDA has brought its numbers down to us. Uh, we think that's a fairly stable number. In fact, it may bounce back up a little bit if we continue to see driving come back a little faster than expected. I'm not ready to go there yet with the increased coronavirus numbers because we could have some more shutdowns yet, but I think the number now is a good number USDA is finally at. I was just going to ask you about that, though. I mean, I thought we were seeing a good rebound in the ethanol industry. In fact, haven't we seen corn usage for ethanol going up for, what, seven or eight weeks in a row now? Yeah, and I think it's actually close to, uh, yeah, nine or ten weeks. Uh, We're still down about 15% from where we were pre-COVID, so we're not back to where we were, but we're getting a lot closer. The question is, can we close that gap now finally? 
to back to where we were prior to the shutdowns, or will we have some more shutdowns again, some regional shutdowns? I don't expect a national one. Some regional shutdowns in some highly populated areas to reduce gasoline consumption. That's the concern now that is the unknown. Eventually, it's possible that we could see uh, driving replace flying for many people, and we could see driving go above year-ago levels. That's one of the theories. We just we should know a lot more over the next 30 days how that's going to play out. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? Are, are our highways capable of handling it? I guess somebody somebody might ask. Switching over to soybeans, there wasn't too much friendly there in the, the Friday report, correct? No, but it was pretty much as we expected. Is a little bit more than what the board expected, but uh, we're still expecting the USDA to eventually have to lower its new crop export target. I think it's got its old crop export target pretty close to where it needs to be right now. It might be a tad high, um, but we think the USDA is a little too optimistic on new crop exports, particularly with the large production in South America. USDA added another couple million metric tons to this year's Brazil crop, and uh, I think that'll eventually lead to adding some to their new crop as well. Uh, with uh, it being very profitable to grow soybeans and corn in Brazil with their weak currency relative to our dollar. Right. Finally, wheat. Uh, boy, we are seeing the rally continuing. We are. We're seeing production losses uh, in the United States, obviously, um, because of the lower acreage. But also Argentina is struggling to get their crop in and establish further harvest here in six months. Uh, we're also seeing lower production estimates coming out of Russia, the Black Sea region, out of France and Europe as a whole. Um, and so can, overall, we're lowering production estimates. We've seen the highest of, of the, the most bearish of the supply numbers numbers. That's turned the market around. Uh, Does it justify a sustained rally? Probably not without help from the corn market. We're not getting that today. The Chicago wheat's still going higher, kind of correcting some of the spreads. But overall, I think wheat needs higher corn prices to sustain the move. Many of us are often surprised at how quickly a rally of the wheat market develops or how how quickly we can go from a hand-to-mouth existence to a surplus. But I I guess I'm, I'm wondering how much of this rally has been an emotional rally or even maybe a fundamental rally based on the coronavirus, the pandemic around the world. And a lot, a lot of it's technical. As you turn the corner and they feel like the worst is in, the funds come in. Uh, the algorithmic traders are trading the momentum in it, and they'll take it too far in both directions. Coronavirus did change consumption. It certainly hurt our demand for corn by shutting down demand for ethanol. It certainly hurt our demand for feeding as well. Um, it increased our flour consumption demand in some cases, as people want to eat more bread when they're at home, more cereal etc. Um, so it did change consumption patterns from that standpoint. Uh, and uh, we're learning a lot about how um, those consumption patterns differ from where they were 30 or 40 years ago, maybe, when we face things that make us stay at home. Good to talk to you as always, Arlen. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. You bet, Max. Great to visit again. Arlen Suderman at StoneX Group. It's been a while since we've had the opportunity to sit down with Arlen and uh, always enjoy his insight, his comments on the crop and ultimate production. Again, looking at those numbers, the U.S. government lowered its forecast for the corn harvest by 
6.2% yesterday as farmers did dial back their planting from their original plans, although the largest ever yields still projected. Corn production for the 2020-21 marketing year pegged at 15 billion bushels. That's based on a yield of 178.5 bushels per acre, and uh, that compares with the government's June estimate of 15.9 billion bushels and yields of 178.5 bushels per acre. Soybean production seen at 4,135,000,000 bushels. That would be up from the June outlook for 4,125,000,000 bushels. And average yield expectations for soybeans were unchanged in the report yesterday at 49.8 bushels per acre. So those are some of the numbers that came out in the report. And I'm always interested in the uh, analyst uh, comments on the report. Uh, In addition to Arlen, we had Don Roos, president of U.S. Commodities yesterday, who said uh, there was nothing bullish in the report, no huge surprises. You still have large supplies of corn and soybeans, and yield is yet to be determined. We're watching the weather market more closely in the Black Sea area, which is more threatening and giving us support for the wheat crop. And uh, one other analyst said the surprise of the day has to be the wheat production numbers, which were bullish. World numbers on corn and soybeans look friendly, but the market today on Friday is reaching more to the split in the weather forecast, and this report will be forgotten by the close, except in the wheat. And quite a few other comments as well from analysts who watch the markets every day, as we do, and uh, it continues to be an interesting watch because of weather and some of the other uncertainties like COVID-19 which is no longer an uncertainty. It's a reality and one that we're having to deal with. And uh, the folks at CoBank, which is a $158 billion cooperative bank serving vital industries across rural America, providing loans, leases, export financing, and other financial services to agribusiness and rural uh, power and uh, also the uh, Farm Credit Association serving more than 70,000 farmers throughout America. But they do have a uh, a branch in the co-bank that really keeps a close look at various commodities in agricultural production. And uh, if I have time this morning, I'm going to uh, share with you some of what they had to say about this unusual crop year. So uh, we'll get to to that, but before we do, we'll hear from uh, Max Armstrong again about crop conditions, and that'll all happen when we continue on the Saturday morning show. It's our weekend visit with the technical service representative for BASF. Kurt Martins joins us here to talk about what's going on out of the fields. 
We have noticed, Kurt, over part of the Corn Belt, uh, the encroachment of more dry soils. Now, I know some folks picked up showers this week. Really welcome rains, but we have many areas drying out. The drought monitor showing uh, an expansion, especially from the west, it seems. Yeah, we sure have. This this past weekend, those concerns have definitely been uh, shared with me by the retailers that I work with and, and the growers. Um, but luckily, some areas have got some rain. We, we do have uh, some areas have some forecasted rain, so that's that's good. But we do have some high temperatures or above normal temperatures that, that we have to deal with coming forward as well. So uh, a couple of different things being thrown at us right now, especially for the corn that's uh, starting to shoot a lot of tassels right now. We had heard reports that uh, tasseling, tasseling was underway, and uh, we know that's such a critical time for the reproductive stage of, of the corn crop. That's uh, when we really can build or break the yield, can't we? That's right. Very critical time. And that's why, like we talked about last week, we've got some growers starting to put out some pre-tassel applications of our, especially our new fungicide Veltimib, because we know it can help protect those plants during those short periods of stress during during heat and drought. It's not going to save the crops, you know, from a complete uh, failure in drought, but it can help bridge those those gaps between the rains that looks like what's going to be coming for us in our, in our future forecast. I was going to ask you about that because we, we quite often assume that disease pressure builds in a crop when there is a lot of moisture. But what you folks, I think, have said in the past is, Anything that can relieve stress in that corn plant, stress that can be caused by drought, and your products can help relieve the stress, that, that can help uh, perhaps protect yield. It sure can. It's been proven to, to protect the plants, again, by helping uh, increase photosynthesis and reduce the ethylene production. Again, the ethylene is what causes the plants to ripen. That's the last thing we want to happen right now is for the plants to, it's not necessarily ripen, but move through their, their, their growth stages faster, so that would mean uh, with the heat stress, that's that's uh, faster pollination, faster grain flow. That's a negative yield impact on our corn. But on the same side, on the same same time here, we actually do have diseases starting to show up. There's fungal diseases such as eye spot and gray leaf spot. We're starting to see those those lesions, and unfortunately, our first tar spot lesions have been found in Northwest Indiana just this past week. So we do have the onset of diseases uh, coming into this corn crop as well. You know, what strikes me is how long some of these diseases have been around. Some are new, fairly new, relatively new on the scene, like tar spot. And then gray leaf spot, I think, goes back 20, 25 years. But northern corn leaf blight goes back farther than that. We had terrible blight in the mid-70s, as I recall. Yeah, that's right. You know, our our common diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, those are diseases that overwinter in our residue here every year. And our new diseases like tar spot also uh, overwinter in last year's residue. So those fields, especially corn on corn fields, <clears throat> especially with those with irrigation, are going to be at the highest risk for those overwintering diseases. And then the diseases that come up from the south would be our rust species like common rust and southern rust, which we see starting to sneak up through the delta now as well. I've seen some comment in recent days from growers saying, hey, you know, with this... Uh bit of price improvement that we've seen here. I really want to protect the yield. I want to make sure I can get every bit that I possibly can. I suspect you hear that some too, don't you? Yeah, a big change in sentiment there after that report here a couple of weeks ago, and then the continued increase in price uh, due to some dry weather in, in places. Uh, it's definitely uh, got growers' minds changed in, into protecting this crop. 
to get more more bushels and finish out the year strong. I look forward to visiting with you again next week. Be safe out there along the highways and byways. Thanks, Kurt. You bet. Thanks, Max. Kurt Martin's BASF Technical Service Representative. Farmers using Pivot Bio Proven's nitrogen-producing microbes are seeing amazing results. But don't take our word for it. Just ask Brian from Carmi, Illinois. This year's been a challenging year for farming, and we saw a greater than a 30 bushel per acre response with the Pivot Bio Proven products. It's a pretty easy decision for us after seeing how it performed this year. Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put. Weather or not. Pivot Bio Proven is the first ever nitrogen producing microbe that supplies nitrogen directly to the plant, helping maximize yield. Just ask Zach from Oklahoma. The average was about a five to six bushel an acre benefit. Not only is that more money in my pocket, but it's less money I had to spend on fertilizer and wear and tear on my side dressing sprayer. Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for. The nitrogen that stays put. Weather or not.